you to know that as you get your education, young people, that you are learning valuable lessons all along. You think you're going to school to get a job. You think you're going to school in order to earn money. I want you to know that God has so arranged the world that the academic disciplines you will learn later have everything to do with how successful you are in a relationship with him and how successful you are in a relationship with other people, the very most valuable things in the world. Now let me just take a, a survey of the value of these disciplines so that we can see how God has arranged the world in order to make us more fit for mature love. Let's talk about probably the seemingly most unrelated academic discipline, mathematics. Now, I was a lousy math student, but I learned enough to know that at least four of the disciplines of math are very valuable in life. The basic discipline of math is problem solving. The basic discipline of relationships is what? Problem solving. That's right. The better you get at approaching a problem and thinking, my job is to solve this thing, the better off you're going to be in life. I don't know why so many people would see 3 plus 3 equals and figure it's their job to supply the answer, but when they get into a problematic relationship uh, in, in the world, they, they go, oh, I'm a victim. I don't know what to do here. You do the same thing. You solve the problem. The problem can be solved. It can, you can come up with a, with a correct answer for that relationship. Why in the one do we take dominion and why in the other are we victims or fearful? No. It's the same discipline. You will run into problems all your life. If you have it inculcated into you that your job is to solve those problems, you will be so much more effective in everything you do, including ultimately relationships. Math also teaches you, especially algebra, teaches you about balancing equations. Do you know most of life in this world is about balancing equations? You know, when we talk about the justice of God, you know what that is? It's an equation. You do something over here, you get an equal result over here. When the Bible says, whatever you sow, you'll reap, you know what that is? That's an equation. And what it says to you very simply is this. That life comes out in a way that makes sense. What it says to you is also this. That whatever you put into a relationship, that is what ultimately you're going to get back. Or whatever you take out of a relationship, that is what ultimately in the end you'll be missing. I watched a, 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 one of those TV information shows. I don't know whether it was Dateline or whatever those things are. Anyhow, uh, they were talking about uh, marriages and fighting in marriages. And they were watching couples fight. And this, this expert, they've always got an expert. This expert was watching them fight. And the conclusion that they came up with was this. That the marriages that have the least possible chance for long-term um, um, happiness 
and the resolution of problems are the marriages where one partner thinks he can win or she can win by zingers. You know what a zinger is? It's kind of a, a little truth that is said in jest that is meant to take your partner down a notch or two. And they can't do anything about it because it's true and, and you're grinning about it and this is just a little ha-ha, you know. Now, please hear me. I, I have no, uh, uh, nothing against, as a matter of fact, we do it in our family. We laugh together about each other's uh, uh, shortcomings constantly. I mean, we do imitations of one another. And everybody laughs and we think it's hilarious. That's not a zinger. A zinger is something that you put in there that you don't want any response from. You just want to know somebody, how, you want to teach somebody how they've failed, how they've failed you. And you think what you're doing is crawling on top, at least for a little time, in that relationship. What you're doing is sowing in that relationship the seeds of death and corruption. Why? Because life's an equation. And every time you think you're, you're crawling on top, you're going to come out somewhere down the line underneath. And by the way, that works in the positive also. Every time you serve, every time you uplift, there is a contribution to that relationship that ultimately will come out on the other side of the equation, the one you're standing on. And so math can teach us a lot about life and about relationships. Math can also teach us that there are specific answers. When's the last time you had a math teacher where you did a problem, he goes, eh, close enough, you know? <laughs> If you have one of those, you, you probably need to get in a different school because you're not going to come out very sharp. There are specific answers to certain problems, and you need to work until you get those specific answers. I don't know how many people gloss over important uh, information in life by saying close enough. I don't, you know, all the people when it comes to spiritual things. You know, you say any nice answer and they go, close enough, you know. You can go into most Sunday schools in the nation and they go, who died on the cross for your sins? Peter Rabbit, close enough, you know. <laughs> Little kid, Peter Rabbit, yeah, that's a nice answer. Anybody else got any ideas, you know? It's like, no, it was Jesus, you know. You got you to have the specific here. That's very important as you go on. Very important to understand that there's a right answer and there's a wrong answer. And whether or not you ever get the right answer or wrong answer doesn't mean that there isn't one. We have come to think in very sloppy terms. Math helps you think in precise and accurate terms. And lastly, in that problem solving, uh, we must understand, and, and, and most, of, most problem solving in relationships is not by formula, it's by, they're mostly story problems. Uh, but in that, in that problem-solving in relationships, we must be reminded that there is there's symbolism in life. We've got to look deeper. When you see a problem in, in algebra, for example, it says, you know, 2y plus 3 equals 18, you know. Uh, you don't say, well, uh, you know, y has to stay there. No, you, you're, th that is just saying, dig a little deeper. You've got to figure out what y stands for. How many times in your life can you not solve a problem with just everything that's presented in, in plain view? You've got to dig deeper, don't you? 
Because, because the, the more foundational truth is a little bit deeper. That's why the Bible says, for we look not to the seen, but to the unseen. Because the foundational truths of the world are really those things that are not readily apparent. The, the, the physicists these days who say that the, that the language of the universe is written in mathematics are talking about realities they've never seen or never proved Nobody's ever seen a black hole. Nobody's ever seen a quark. The problem is, that's the only way they can explain what they do see. And so they say that the foundational elements of the universe are those things we can't see. They just are things that we, we come up with inferential thinking. They, they are inferred. And that teaches you a very valuable lesson in relationships. Because as I said last week, you will be much better at your communication if you not only hear what is said, but what is meant. You've got to dig behind the words. You've got to dig behind the tone. And you've got to come up with what the real truth is there. See? So math teaches you a lot about relationships. And when your kid comes home and says to you, I don't want to study algebra. I'll never use this stuff as long as I live. You can truthfully say to them, you will use it every day of your life. That builds in you a capacity a pattern of thinking in your brain that is absolutely important to your relationship with God and your relationship to your wife and your relationship to your kids. You keep doing that because God's building capacities in you that can't be built in any other way. When it comes to science, why did God give us a world to explore? Many times by breaking it down into the smallest possible parts that's what science is, mostly a microcosmic view of the universe. What good does that do, relationships? Well, the first thing it does is it teaches us about the interrelationship of all of the parts. About how everything is important in the way that it works together. It's not the elements themselves that are important. I hear people getting all frustrated because some people say we've got uh, similar genetic uh, structures to monkeys. Good grief. If you break it down far enough, our genetic structure is similar to Windex. You know, <laughs> it is. It's not, it's not the pieces that are important. It's the arrangement of those pieces. And God says this by science. God says, I have given you a way to create that by which you can arrange the universe. You can have dominion of the universe. You know, in Genesis it says, take dominion. That's why I put you here. Take dominion. I see so many people walking around today saying, the world is happening to me. Look at everything that's happening to me. Wait a minute. You just took the wrong role. You're not, you're not a passive piece of matter. You are arranged in a way that you need to be able to take dominion. You need to be able to arrange the world. That's what science does. And so take it from science. You have the ability to note the interrelationship of parts, to rearrange those interrelationships. And from God, you not only have the permission, you have the command. Look in Psalm 8. Those of you who have your scriptures with you. Look in Psalm 8. Hmm. Starting with verse 3, it's looking at the great scientist and then deducing 
our role after him. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. In Hebrew, this means fixed, arranged, manipulated into a pattern. The moon and stars which thou hast ordained. What is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. And look at this verse. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Do you know what we're missing today? We're missing the transfer of the principles of science into the transfer of the principles of relationships. How many of you know that you can raise better kids scientifically? And I'm not talking about give them special, special chemicals. I'm talking about, let me give you an example. Uh, let's talk about uh, gardens. Let's say you're doing a garden scientifically, or, you know, you're planting uh, flowers and you got a flower garden. You go out there, as a, as a scientist, you look at this, you say, this is what I want to grow. This is the crop I want to grow right here. Well, one day, you go out after, you know, you've been absent for a little while, and there's weeds out there. Now, how many of you are going to just let the weeds grow? Oh, that's just a natural thing. We'll just let the weeds. Weeds have a, a right to exist, you know? <laughs> no, you're going to take authority. You're going to say, no, I don't want weeds in my flower garden because you might hurt my flowers. My flowers are the main thing. Those of you who are radical ecologists might feel compelled to go plant those weeds someplace else, but at least you'll do that, <laughs> see? Pull the weeds out. Why? Because they might hurt your flowers. If there's caterpillars on the flowers, you take those caterpillars out, throw them away. Why? Because they might hurt your flowers. Because your flowers are the main things. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you parents raising children right now see your kids hang around with kids who think like idiots? I'm not talking about their worth. I'm talking about their thinking process. And you do not feel the authority to say, you're not going to be hanging around that kid. Because who are you to judge? I tell you who you are to judge. You're the mom. You're the dad. And you're not only given the responsibility to judge, you are given the charge to judge. Get the weeds out of your kid's garden. If you want to raise healthy kids, give them the environment they need. Take authority in relationships. Most of you would not let your kids eat moldy meat even one time because it might impair their health. It might make them sick. Yet you let your kids think moldy thoughts, hang around moldy information, which can harm them even more. Why? Because you haven't taken the position of a scientist to say, it's my responsibility to arrange this world in such a way that I have the best product for God. I absolutely have taken responsibility to come up with a kid that loves God the best, that thinks the healthiest. When he gets out of the house, he or she can do whatever they want. But this is my job right now. You understand that mentality? Very valuable. And the last one, I, and I, I'm hurrying. The social scientists, you know, not only are there kids that come up and say, I don't like math, I don't like science. They say, history, ah, you know, <laughs> social studies, ah, what, what, you know, who, what? 
Just as there are values in learning how important the interrelationship of the parts are. And by the way, most of your kids feel very insignificant, like they'll never make a difference. Many of you feel very insignificant, like you really don't count. If you study science, if you study physics, you will, you will understand how what you do makes a tremendous difference eventually. I, I've told you before, I'm trying to hurry, but I, I, I relax just for a minute. If 20 years ago, meteorologists said, you know what, in 20 years from now, we're going to have such sophisticated scientific inf uh, um, equipment that we will be able to, to predict the weather without fail. Their rate of success is about what it was 20 years ago, about 50-50, you know? People in New York right now could tell you what a miserable failure they've been. Oops, surprise, you know? All they can do is give you a few days warning, if that. Why? They've got all of this sophisticated, all 20 years of learning. Why have they not been able to be more accurate in their predictions? Because, as we understand more and more of the laws of physics, weather patterns develop as the world does by nonlinear equations, by unpredictable. You see, they understand now that just the effects of the flapping of the wings of a butterfly in Africa, given its interrelationship with the other effects of the winds and so on and so forth, that can start what ends up as a major storm in California. Now you study that for a while, and I dare you to come up with this theory, what I do really doesn't matter. You know, if a butterfly matters, you matter. You understand? Your kids need to know that, that information. They need to see that. Okay, let's, let's just spend one little thing on, on, on the social science. If, if science is examining the universe by principles of microcosm, social sciences are examining the universe by principles of macrocosm. And if your kid, if you understand that God doesn't just call individuals to remain individuals. He's always been making for himself a people. And, and, and what happens with, those, with that people changes the world, the entire world. Then you don't become so frustrated over the little things of life. You don't expect so much of yourself. Now, how many of you have become so parochial in your thinking that the little things in your life right now are absolutely overwhelming you? absolutely taking you over. You're having a nervous breakdown because you didn't get the, the dining room table cleared off today, you know? And it just seems huge. By the way, come next week. I'm, next week I'm going to talk about how God brings order out of chaos. <laughs> so if, you're, if your life gets more and more confused, come next week and, I, and I'll tell you something that's important to you. But, but right now I want you to see that as you study these larger patterns, you will understand that life isn't about the immediate results of details. How much pressure would be off you if you thought everything you did had an immediate and, 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 and uh, uh, if you could stop thinking everything you did had an immediate and eternal consequence? 
And every moment of your life was just the most important moment of, of all the universe. No, no. Now, let me give you something that somebody gave me a few years ago. So helpful. This old guy looked at me one day and he said, you know, son, this is when I first started off in the ministry. And uh, he said, you know, son, he said, um, you will be able to accomplish much less than you had hoped in six months. But in 10 years, you will see that you have accomplished much more than you'd ever dreamed. Boy, was that helpful to me. Took the pressure off the first six months. Gave me perspective. Gave me patience. Let me know that God was working all of these little details into a pattern. So what I'm saying here is that God is very carefully arranged, instrumentally arranged all of the world, not only for his providential outcome, but also for our learning of him. And the smarter you get, if you don't divorce it from that relationship, the better you will be able to love. Just don't miss the point. Let me tell you one more story. I used to tell this years ago. I'm going to tell it one more time. I love this story. It's written by the wife of a fellow seminarian of mine. She said, once upon a time, there was a, uh, uh, two little boys who lived in the foothills of a uh, small German village. And one day they talked their mom into letting them go down into the village uh, just, to, just to walk by the shops and examine the wares and so on and so forth. They were old enough and they were, were responsible. Back then, villages were safe. And, and so the mom let them. And so they ran, run down, you know, and they started walking through the village. And in these days, all of the artisans uh, plied their trade in the windows of their shop. You could walk past the cobbler and he'd be fixing shoes in the window and he'd tell you good day and, and have a conversation with you. And they were going down and they were seeing the, the cobblers and the potters came to this place where this old man was carving this huge block of wood, you know. And, and, and they stood at, like little boys do, they stand at the windows and of course they want to guess what it's going to be. And they're looking there and they see kind of a roof take shape and, and maybe what they think are a couple of pillars, you know. And, and this little boy knocks on the window and he goes, I know what that is. The old woodcarver looked at him and he said, that's a chalet. Well, as soon as he said that, woodcarver went like that and he carved, right off, carved those pillars right off and, and, and rounded that roof. And so he's very frustrated. And this little kid says, I don't want to do this. I want to go watch. She, he said, will you go watch? Because I, I want to guess this. He, he was engaged now. He, was, he really wanted to guess this thing. So he watched some more and the old woodcarver motioned him on in and he went in and he sat down on the bench by the woodcarver and just kept looking at his carving, what he was doing. And the whole time, Woodcarver was having a conversation with him. You know, where do you come from? Who's your mom and dad? You know, and, and the little boy was asking him, you know, do you have any kids? You know, how long have you been doing this and all that kind of stuff? But the whole time, this little kid's eye were right on, eyes were right on this, little, this wood thing here. And finally, he thought he saw a big head emerge with big ears and a long, what started to be a long trunk. And he said, I got it. It's an elephant. Off came the trunk. Off came the ears. Boy, now he's really, oh, man. So he kept talking. He kept looking at this thing. Finally, he saw this long neck emerge and kind of a long snout and four legs. And he goes, oh, man, okay. 
Okay, it's a horse. It's a horse. I should have seen it all along. Whop, off came the legs. Off came the neck. Now he's really getting angry. And as the, as the afternoon wears on, hour after hour, everything he guesses disappears before his eyes. Until finally the woodcarver gets down to a little bitty block of wood. Just a little bitty piece of wood. And the boy watches him very definitely cur uh, form a long neck, wings, and it is almost a perfectly finished swan. The little boy looks at him and said, so you were making a swan all along. Off comes the head. <laughs> Off come the wings. All that's left are splinters. And the little boy is indignant. He said, I am so angry at you. The old man said, why? He said, because you weren't making anything. The old man looked and said, oh, yeah. I was making an opportunity for us to get to know one another. You know what? When you get to heaven, as valuable as learning is, God's not going to ask you how many right answers you had. He's going to say, did you see me down there and all that? Did you get to know me? Pray with me. God, thank you for making us creatures of reason and logic and thinking. Thinking is good. <laughs> thank you for making us creatures of sense and heart and intuition. Because loving is better. Now, God, we ask you to make us creatures who think so that we can love better, because that's the best. <clears throat> we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who loved us enough to die for us. Help us to discover, step by step, the implications of that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. <clears throat> we have, uh, I want to remind you, we have a prayer team over here would love to pray with you if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want this personal relationship with God so you can see how he's made the world and bring every thought captive to Christ they can help you establish that relationship some of you may have some other things that you'd just like to pray about with another Christian they'd love to pray with you now may the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the love of God <clears throat> and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be in us and help us to see him in all things. Amen.